0: The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole, complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich, biblical concept of peace.
1: All right, good morning. I am excited to start a new sermon series with you guys today on Advent. It is that time of year, Uh, finally. (laughs) I feel like we've finally made it to this time of year. Usually this time of year, I'm thinking, man, it's already Advent. This time time I'm thinking, man, finally, we're getting to the end of the year. The word advent literally means arrival. It means arrival. It's a time, it's a season of anticipation, a season of waiting. As Christians, advent is a time of year where we prepare our hearts to celebrate the incarnation that God came to us, the birth of Jesus. It's also a time of year that we anticipate the second coming of Jesus, that we stir up our longing for Christ to come back. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of this season of Advent. Uh, We've got some some guides for Advent this year that we've got back there, and we're going to post this. Uh, Our Mercy Kids uh, Facebook page is actually going to have daily readings and and, uh, inspiration Uh, put out on there and so if you're not part of the the mercy kids facebook page i would encourage you to jump on there but use this season to really recalibrate your heart and focus in on your relationship with the lord that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks here on sunday mornings each week we're going to be focused in on a different topic of advent obviously we're going to be focusing in on on peace today And uh, peace is definitely something that is hard to find in our world today, right? Uh, There's a, a record number of people out of jobs. There's substance abuse is up. Violent crimes are up. According to CDC, anxiety disorder symptoms have risen by 300%. Depression is up by 400%. There's suicide, domestic abuse. I could go on and on. We could spend the whole sermon talking about how peace is hard to find, these days, but that would not be a very good sermon. It would not be a helpful sermon at all. The reality is God never promised an outer peace to us. In fact, over and over in Scripture, we have the promise that uh, our our world's going to be filled with chaos and turmoil. It's going to be filled with tribulations. We're not promised an outer peace, but we are promised an inner peace. A deeper, more abiding peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. A shalom, like the video talked about, a wholeness, when our hearts are united and our relationships are right, especially the relationship between us and God. Do you know the background of the song that we just sang? It is well with my soul. It's an amazing story. Man, Horatio Spafford, who wrote that song, he was a successful lawyer. Real estate lawyer on the right around Chicago is in the 1870s. His life got flipped upside down. His only son, who is four years old, he died of scarlet fever. The following year, every one of his investments were lost in the great Chicago fire. A few years later, he decides to take his family on a vacation to Europe. And right before they're about to leave, uh, some business emergency. Happens, And so he sends his wife and his three daughters on the ship and says, I'll be there as soon as I can. And so it was in November of 1873, Anna, his wife, and their three girls boarded the French ship Villa de Havre. Four days into their journey across the ocean, Horatio receives word, devastating news, that their boat had collided with another one and almost all the passengers had drowned. Well, several days later when the survivors of that shipwreck had finally reached wales his wife sends him a brief telegram just six words saved alone what shall i do so his wife was alive but their three daughters had drowned in the ship shipwreck so immediately he boards a ship to go be with his grieving wife and on route to England, the captain of the boat that he's on calls him and says to him, We're nearing the area where their ship sank. And it was in that moment he wrote the words When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea bellows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast, thou hast taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. Horatio and his wife, Anna, their faith never faltered. They had a peace that surpasses all understanding and this inner wholeness, a, a peace that really only comes from God. And so what I really want to wrestle with this morning is how do we get that? How do we get that peace that surpasses all understanding? How do we tap into what Horatio and his wife, Anna, has, And so during this Advent season, we're going to be walking through Romans chapter 5. And I'd like you to go ahead and turn there right now. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, because in this short passage, Paul reveals really what, what I believe is the secret to an indescribable peace and hope and joy and love that only comes, us, comes to us through Christ. So as you're turning there, let me, let me pray for our time. Father, right now, more than anything, we need that peace that surpasses all understanding. As our world is filled with chaos and fear, uncertainty, More than anything right now, we need to know the Prince of Peace. And so right now in this moment, whether we're here together or we're at home watching on a screen, I plead with you that we would feel your presence and that we would be filled with your peace. And that we would walk out of here encouraged and with a desire to spread that peace to others that desperately need it for your glory in jesus name amen let me give you some context of what's going on here in romans chapter 5 before we just dive into it so the apostle paul is the one who wrote this letter Uh, to the church in Rome. He had never been to the church in Rome. He wanted to be there. He wanted to go and visit them, but he had heard of their faith, and so he writes this letter to them. This is the most thorough and systematic book of theology in all the Bible. He spends, and we're going to spend four weeks on just these 11 verses, and we're barely going to scratch the surface of the treasures that you could mine out of these passages. There's so much depth to it. The first three chapters of Romans Paul is arguing that we have all rebelled, we've all sinned, none of us meet God's standard. We all deserve God's wrath. That our best works, no matter how hard we try to be a good person, will never be enough. Thank goodness he doesn't stop at chapter (laughs) 3. Chapter 4, he dives into what we're, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today, he dives into the doctrine of justification by faith. And he ends chapter 4 with an example of Abraham. He talks about Abraham and he argues that Abraham was saved by grace through his faith and in the promises of God. That because Abraham trusted in the, the character of God and the promises of God, that's what was credited to his righteousness. Let me, let me read the end of of chapter 4 before we dive into chapter 5. Look at verse 20 back in chapter 4, talking about Abraham. No, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That word counted is really important. Notice how many times he says that in the coming verses. Verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so salvation came to Abraham Not through being a good person, not through good works, but through faith. Abraham trusted in the the character and the promises of God. And likewise, we are saved by grace through faith. That's what we're going to see in the first two verses of chapter 5. And what we're going to see also is that our shalom, that inner peace, is rooted in justification by faith. This is the key to this inner peace that surpasses all understanding. All right, so this brings us to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first two verses today as we focus in on peace. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also... Obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so here's the outline. This is where we're going to be going today. First, we're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about, okay, why is justification by faith a mountain worth dying on? Secondly, we're going to talk about how inner peace is rooted in our justification by faith. And then finally, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a peacemaker in everyday life. All right, so why justification by faith is a mountain worth dying on? So Martin Luther, he once wrote, This doctrine of justification by faith is the head and the cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. John Calvin said, Wherever the knowledge of it is taken away, talking about justification by faith, the glory of Christ is, is extinguished, religion abolished, the church destroyed, and the hope of salvation utterly overthrown. Now, I don't think Martin Luther or John Calvin were speaking in some kind of pastoral hyperbole here. They were very serious. This is how significant they believed the, just, or the doctrine of the justification by faith alone was. When the church does anything to undermine this doctrine or water it down, or if they just simply don't talk about it, they're ignoring the gospel, they're watering down the gospel, they're underlying or undermining the gospel. In fact, Paul, in the context of talking about justification by faith in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, says, But even if we or another angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. And so, what is justif- justification by faith? I'm glad you asked. So, justification by faith, it's one of the things that makes Christianity unique from every other religion. Okay? Justification by faith is the gift of God to declare. Those who trust in Christ for salvation, righteous before God. Okay, it's a legal term. And so in God's court, all of us have sinned. That was the first three chapters of Romans, right? All of us have sinned, rebelled against God, committed treason against our creator by thinking we know better than him. That's what Adam and Eve did. They were convinced they knew better than God and so they were going to be their own God, right? We've all done that. We've trampled on his glory by seeking a glory for ourselves. And so we all deserve condemnation. We all have already been found guilty in God's court. And yet, because God is gracious, because he is merciful, and he loves you, because Christ was willing to sacrificially pay the penalty that we deserve and satisfy the justice of God, now, through faith in Christ, we, the ungodly, Can be reconciled to god now through faith in christ we're justified we're declared innocent forgiven accepted no other religious system no other religious system has that anything close to that this is why we sing amazing grace this is why we sing it is well with our soul Almost every other religious system, you have to work hard to make yourself righteous before God so that you will be accepted by Him. The Bible teaches that following the rules are good. Okay, we should follow the rules. But we're never going to be able to do it perfectly. We're never going to do it to a point that we meet God's standard. In fact, the purpose of the law wasn't to make us righteous It was to point out that we're not righteous and that we need God to save us from ourselves. In other words, the law helps us to see God's standard is not attainable by us. And so unless God provides another way for us to be reconciled to him, we're without hope. So 500 years ago, Martin Luther came to this realization, right? And he describes the moment that he discovers, that the moment that God opens his eyes to understand this amazing doctrine, uh, and you gotta remember, Martin Luther lived as a monk, right? He lived his whole life dedicated to serve the Lord, and yet he still felt, and he described himself as extremely disturbed and conscious because he felt the weight of his sin, and he he felt that he was a, a sinner before a holy God, and there was nothing that he could ever do that would be, ever be good enough to please God. And Luther admitted he was angry at God, actually, because he felt like God was just unfair and harsh. That, that was his view of God. But it was after meditating on Paul's words in the book of Romans, for many days that he came to the realization, his eyes were open that the righteousness before God, it wasn't something that he could develop on his own, but, but it was a righteousness, that was a gift from God that came through faith, alone and not through works this is how he described the moment that he he saw this in scripture he described it like this he says here i felt that i was altogether born again and had entered into a paradise itself through open gates here a totally other face of the scripture showed itself to me and i extolled my sweetest word with a a love as great as the hatred with which I had before hated the word righteousness of God. Thus, that place in Paul was for me truly the gate to paradise. For Martin Luther, the discovery of the doctrine of justification by faith alone was the greatest life-changing moment and experience he had ever had and would ever have. Luther described the discovery. It was like a paradise of peace with God was open to him. Now, my experience... It was not, and more than likely, your experience was not like Martin Luther's. I I wasn't raised as a monk. Uh, I was raised in church. I'm thankful that my parents planted the seeds of faith, and I, I knew the stories of Jesus. But really, the gospel didn't become significant to me until I got to college. And for me, before justification by faith even mattered a lick, I had to understand, I had to come to the realization that there was this huge gap, this chasm between myself and God, and so I'm kind of a visual learner. And so one of the things that God used to open up my eyes, to, to understand the separation between myself and God, that I'm a sinful person. God's a holy God and there's a separation. God, because he is holy, he, uh, he, he can't just let sin go. And so there's this gap between. So I remember, it, uh, like it was yesterday, it was Chris Stuffelman, this guy with a weird last name, came into my dorm room and he, he drew this picture for me go ahead and show this this next slide and so some of you have seen this before right and so on one side you have uh people us sinful and on the other side you have god holy and there's this big gap in between us because of our sin right and then he drew of course the next picture uh all these different ways that we try to get to god on our own okay we, we try religion we try good deeds but it doesn't matter. And he, I think he used some illustrations, like it's trying to swim to Hawaii, right? I don't care how good. I don't care if you're Michael Phelps. All oh, this, this is before Michael Phelps was around. But <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, you're not going to be able to swim to Hawaii. You're going to need a lifeboat to get there. You need some other uh, form of transportation. And so, of course, the next picture, then he draws the cross as the bridge okay many of you have seen this but this is what opened up my eyes to see my need for a savior that there is no way that i could on my own efforts ever be accepted to god and so he he showed me this picture and once i recognized my need for a savior justification by faith alone began to become more significant in my life because i started realizing okay Christianity is different from every other religion. Every other religion, you're trying to work your way to God. Christianity says, no, 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 no. God came to you. And He wants a relationship with you. And what saves you is not working hard, it's trusting in the work of Christ and what He's done for you on the cross. And so the next picture shows you the the more I've understood this, the more I as I've grown in my awareness of God's holiness in my own awareness of my own sinfulness, the doctrine of the justification by faith alone has actually gotten bigger and bigger. And because of that, my inner peace, my shalom, continues to grow over time. Don't get me wrong, there's road bumps along the way. Uh, 2020 has been a road bump, for sure. I think for many of us. This leads me to the second point, though. That this inner peace is rooted... And justification by faith. Now, I want to make it clear though. Romans 5 1 through 11, when it talks about peace here, it's not talking about this inner feeling, it's talking about an objective truth the reality that because uh, you trust in Christ for salvation and Christ died for you, your sins are forgiven. You're no longer an enemy of God, you're now a child of His, you're reconciled. 1 through 11 is about reconciliation in Romans 5. You're counted righteous because of what Christ did, and you putting your faith in Him. Where there used to be conflict with God, now there's peace. Okay, so that's the peace that he's talking about as an objective truth. But what I want to argue today, this morning, is that that creates this inexhaustible fountain of inner peace in us. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding, the Philippians 4. This is what we all long for. And I say inexhaustible because every other source of peace that we run after is fleeting. It's a chasing after the wind, as Solomon would say. And we live in a culture that desperately seeks relief from the chaos of our world, of the everyday life. And I wonder if Jesus were physically here today, if he would look over the world and weep, kind of like he weeps over Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, and he says... Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I think even within the church, we often look for quick fixes. We often look for like a formula that leads to peace. We take passages like Philippians chapter 4, and I want you to turn there right now. Go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7. This is a famous passage. I mean, many people, this is on your wall. Some of you probably have this on your wall at home, okay? Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7, but we take it out of context often. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we read that when we think, okay, that's pretty easy, right? I just take prayer plus thanksgiving, and that equals peace, right? Easy formula. And we go through the steps, and yet it just doesn't seem to work. And we end up back where we started, and we're discouraged, And so we just try harder. We repent of our lack of faith. We write a longer list of things we're thankful for, thinking that if I just fill my heart with things that are positive, that'll push out the things that are negative, but it just doesn't completely dispel all the potential doomsday scenarios that keep us up at night because we know that they could still happen. No matter how hard we try, it seems that the peace that surpasses all understandings just seems to be unattainable. But perhaps we're looking at this passage wrong. What if we're looking at this passage kind of like a pill and God's our pharmacist. And so our symptoms are anxiety and so we ask God, okay, what do I take for anxiety? And he, we think he says, well, you take Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, take some of that. But we know the Bible really doesn't work like that. We can't reduce this passage down to a simple formula. Peace doesn't ever come from us trusting in a formula. It comes to us by trusting in a person. Let's go back to that same passage. This time, let's look for the Prince of Peace in it. Let's look for, for Jesus. And to do that, we really need to know the context of Philippians chapter 4. Do you know what comes right before Philippians chapter 4? Philippians chapter 3. Look at the very, the, the heading For Philippians chapter 3. What's the heading there? Righteousness through faith in Christ. Right? That's the context. You probably see where I'm going here. Look down at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that what? I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness righteousness from God that depends on faith. Remember Paul's conversion back in Acts, where he, he's on the road to Damascus, and he has a vision of Christ, right? And the vision is so amazing that it blinds him. And for the next three years, he goes off and he I, I believe in that in those three years, he's being prepared for ministry, right? He's being taught the doctrines that he spells out in Romans. And I think for the rest of his life, he's like, I want to get back to that moment where I'm in the presence of the Lord. He got a taste of it. And for the rest of his life, he poured it out, wanting to take everybody else with him to see the Lord, to be a part of it. He says, everything else I've lost, and it's rubbish because I want to get back to that. I want to see Christ. I want to know him. Nothing else matters. That's the context of Philippians. He's writing from prison, by the way, right? Right? And that's the context of Philippians chapter 4. Paul's talking about finding freedom from anxiety and and a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's in the context of justification by faith alone because it's justification that we need, we desperately need to break apart the barrier, that gap between us and God so that we can be reconciled to him. That's what Romans 5, 1 through 11 is all about. It's about reconciliation to him. It's about us and our relationship with Christ now take a look at the verse right before Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Let's go back to verse 4. So chapter 4, starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, writing from prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So the reason we don't have to be anxious is because our Lord is near. You see, the emphasis in this passage is not about having the right formula when we pray. The emphasis in this passage is on God who has come close, who has graciously and mercifully declared us righteous so we can be in his presence for all of eternity. If my four year old son Liam is scared at night because his room is dark, he doesn't want Some impersonal steps to free him from anxiety. He wants a person. In particular, he wants his mommy. And he will make it very loud and very clear that he wants his mommy, right? But he wants a person. Think about it. If the presence of a mere human being can comfort us in the times of stress, how much more will we be comforted by the promised presence of our reigning Savior, Jesus Christ? When Jesus promises to his disciples, I will be with you to the end of the age. That's a promise we ought to meditate on often. This is the secret to peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not some formula. It's meditating on Emmanuel, right? God with us, remembering that Jesus has given us his spirit so all of us can experience the presence of God at the same time. Trusting that God will provide the grace you need for whatever you're going through in that moment. Not everything that you want, but he'll give you everything you need. He's faithful to do so. And as we grow in our relationship with Christ, as we feed on Christ, as we feed on Scripture, where he reveals himself, we continue to grow in our dependence on on him and the peace that surpasses all understanding will grow in our hearts. It's not a quick fix. There is no quick fix. I wish there was. (laughs) There's no easy steps. There's no formula. It's cultivating a personal relationship. It's developing trust. If Liam is crying in the middle of the night because he's scared and we send somebody up to his room that he doesn't really know to comfort him, you think that's really gonna help him? No, he's probably gonna cry more because the relationship's not there. The trust has not been built. If you want to experience peace, get to know the Prince of Peace. Get to know his heart towards you. Press into his character, his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his goodness that he shows us to on the cross. And then become a peacemaker. That's point number three. What does it look like to be a peacemaker in everyday life? Uh, Jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. In other words, he's saying there when you become a peacemaker, others will recognize them as resembling their heavenly father. Why? Because they've spent so much time with him. It's kind of like those older couples that kind of start looking like each other. You know, maybe you've seen pictures of that or maybe you've got some grandparents that are, are like that. When I walk around and people see me, I want them to see Christ be, because, and they recognize that, okay, this is a man who's spent time with Christ. A peacemaker is an ambassador of the Prince of Peace. Paul says we've been given a, a ministry of reconciliation. We've been commissioned to spread peace by sharing the good news of reconciliation through God's offer of justification by faith rather than by works. That's the good news that our world needs to hear. And so maybe for you, what does that mean for you today? I mean, maybe for you that means that you share the, that, uh, that diagram with the bridge with your kids today or a friend Or maybe that means simply for you, you you just simply start by asking your neighbor, how can I pray for you today and see where that conversation goes? Maybe for you, peacemaking means praying for your enemy, somebody who's harmed you. Maybe for you, it simply means figuring out creative ways to serve the least of these during this season. Or maybe for you, as you're preparing for Christmas, it means that you figure out creative ways to be radically generous right now, to spread the peace of Christ. I want to pray that God would give us wisdom today and how we might be peacemakers as a church. Father, thank you so much that you have given us Declared to us. Declared over us. Justification. That you have declared us righteous before you. Even though we don't deserve it. And I pray that we would trust in you more. We would trust in your character. We would trust in your Ability to provide for us what we need most, which is you, and that we would treasure you above everything else, and that you would fill us with peace, and that we would spread that peace to the ends of the earth.